We're so glad that you found this Peak City message today. Our prayer is that during our time together, you're able to discover Jesus and are encouraged to follow him fearlessly. Well, good morning, everyone. Like, uh, like Taylor said, my name is Josh or uh, Big Dirty for those of you who are friends, but we're all friends now. So you can call me that if you see me in the lobby. It's not weird. The only person who wouldn't call me that was my grandma, but that makes sense, right? Um, so I always love hanging out with Taylor because he's the only person in my life that I have to look up to. So like, it, normally I'm like, hey, how are you doing down there? And with Taylor, I'm like, hey, man. How's it going? You know, so I always love, man, and I love being here. I love being at this church. I love being at Peak City each and every time I've come here. I've had the privilege of being able to come here now for a couple of years. Man, I'm just amazed. I'm always amazed, and man, I'm always just so overwhelmed with what I sense the Spirit of God doing in this place. Man, to see the life change and to hear the stories, it's, it always is just so incredible, man. And so I'm grateful. Man, I'm grateful for what God does in this place each and every week through many of you. And man, I'm just glad to be here. Man, so grateful for Taylor and Petey. Man, just inviting me out, man. Love those guys and love uh, the direction of your all's church. And so again, it's an honor for me to be here. Well, today is one of my favorite days really of the year when we look at the church calendar. So today, if you didn't know, maybe you're new to church or maybe never followed this, today is what we call Palm Sunday, okay? And so Palm Sunday was Jesus's entry into Jerusalem on the, on the Sunday before the Friday where Jesus would give his life on the cross. And so I love this day, but it's not, again, it's not just about this day. It's really about this whole week. It's about Thursday and Jesus in the upper room with his disciples as he prays with them and kind of encourages them and sends them off to do ministry. It's about Friday, obviously, and the crucifixion. But, and then, of course, it's about Sunday and the resurrection. And so on this day each year, I get to remember and I try to remind myself that Christ has come, that Christ has come and that he's lived, but he also in that willingly walked into what would be his death. And what looked like defeat was actually victory. And that because of that victory, freedom is possible, right? Freedom for all of us. And so what I have seen in my own life, and I'm sure many of you probably as well, that because of the victory that God had through Jesus on the cross, God has taken what has been meant for my defeat and my destruction and my loss and has redeemed it and redeemed me for his glory. That even when I've blown it, and when I've messed up, and when I've sinned, God has still provided for me a righteousness that is not my own, but that's through Christ, which leaves me awestruck. Like, I am amazed at this God that we serve and how good he is. I'm amazed at what he's done in my life, and I'm amazed at what he's done in the lives of other people. And I know that many of the times when I'm feeling so undeserving, or I've done things that really honestly probably make me undeserving. I am reminded, especially on this day, of God's grace and his kindness and his patience. And all of the things of God are not based on me, but they're based on him. Right? And so that this is who he is. And so that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to lean into that and look at who God is. What's God's character? And really, why does that matter? Because 
I think a proper view of God can change your life. At least it's for me. So if you have a Bible and you want to track along, whether it's a Bible in your hand or a Bible on your phone, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3. So 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter is a book written by the Apostle Peter. And so if you don't know the Apostle Peter, he was one of the disciples of Jesus. And Peter is famous for always, it seems like, putting his foot in his mouth. But what I love about Peter is how passionate I feel like he was. And so when you read his writings, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, like you feel that passion, like he is intense. And that's really what this letter is. It's his farewell speech addressed to the church and its followers. And like, so Peter is challenging Jesus's followers to continue to grow in their faith and love and service to God and to be ready because Jesus is coming back. You see, in their world, it was full of persecution and trouble right? And, and God said, gave them this word. And it was meant to be an anchor to who God had always been and who God will always be. And it's in him that we find all that we need. And the same is true for us. In a world that's full of difficulty and trouble and strife, the word of God can be the anchor and the hope that roots us in something that's way more secure than ourselves. And in it, we can find what we need. And man, it's incredible that we get to read about a God who has done everything he could to be with you and I. And so that's where we're going to lean in this morning. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, this is how it reads. It says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. You see, we serve a God who exists outside of time, which is really hard for a lot of us to even grasp. Because all of our lives are dictated by time. Like literally everything, and no matter how hard we try, and some of you try really hard to add extra minutes and moments to go, man, if I just had 30 more minutes, you feel like you could get more done. You can't. You just have more things to do with more time, right? But all of us, we feel like we want to add this thing, but the reality is time is set, and it's the bounds in which we live in. Even our days are numbered. The word of God says our days are numbered that we will spend physically on this earth. And for some, it's shorter than it seems like it should be. And for others, maybe longer than seems fair. But what I know and what you know is no one cheats death in time. And so when we think of a God who sits outside of this, again, it's really hard to fathom. You see, we see life as these events I can't see in the future. I have some perspective to look in the past, but I can't see them all. I don't know what's coming next, but God, it's like he sits on a mountain and he looks out and he sees all events at one time, past and present and future. And so again, that's really hard for us to get our minds around. And some of you may be thinking, well, that's great. God sees time that way, but What does that do for me? Maybe it just complicates things, but in reality, I think it should bring us comfort. Like, don't we want to trust a God who sees everything, not just this moment, that hopefully then it would lead us into a deeper reliance and trust and faith in God. It would make us realize that we can't actually do this without him, that we need help, so that when in those moments, when we don't think we can keep going, 
in those moments when all hope seems lost, in those moments when we have blown it and we don't think there's any way to come back, in the moments when the death of a loved one has crippled us, in the moments when we get a phone call from a doctor's office with a diagnosis and we don't even know what next looks like, in the moments when we've sinned and are now carrying the brokenness of our lives and our families and we don't think there's any way it can be redeemed. It's in those moments that God being outside of time, not limited to just what we can see, but can see beyond these things, helps to put things into perspective. It reminds us that God is not caught off guard by anything. Again, our perspective is only to look back, but God sees all of it. And here's the better part. God knows you and knows how he can actually use these things that are happening in your life to draw him into a relationship with himself. That even our mistakes and our terrible decisions can have a purpose, that they can be redeemed. Like it doesn't lessen the consequences or let us off the hook. So don't hear that. But it doesn't have to leave us stuck. I know some of us are stuck and we can't move past it. And so what God is saying is that for those of us who love Jesus, for those of us who have placed our hope and faith in Jesus, God can take these things and use them to make us more like his son, Jesus. You see, the enemy is trying to convince you, or maybe you're already convinced that it's over, that there's no way out, that all is actually lost. But what God is saying is, hold on. He's saying, don't you know that I have a plan? Like, I'm going to use this. I'm going to redeem this. It's going to take some work on your behalf. It's going to take some surrender. It's going to take some obedience. But God is saying, man, just hold on. What I have for you, eternity can be yours if you place your faith and trust in me. And so when you understand this idea of eternity in perspective of our lives, that it's just this little blip on a line that goes forever. God is saying this light and momentary pain and this suffering cannot compare to what is next. That this future hope and future glory can be ours because what has been achieved through victory of Jesus. And so Peter says, don't forget this. Don't forget that this is the God that you serve that this is a God who has made himself known to you. But what I know is it's very easy to forget. Like life is always pulling at us, right? Like I have four kids. I don't have any more room in my brain for me. Like literally, like they have practices and school and I had to do all the things with them. Like they are literally sucking pieces of my brain away. Like I cannot remember. And then I have to remember the things for me, right? And then I think through the worries of the world and the struggles that we experience and the heartache that we walk through. But then I also have the good things in my life. I'm a pastor and get to shepherd people. And I get to hang out and help walk with people to find Jesus. It's a good thing. I get to hang out with my kids and, and coach t-ball and, and coach pitch and minor league base. I get to do all of those things with them. I get to be a husband and a friend. There's a lot of good in my life too. So all of those things are vying for my attention. And Peter says, don't forget 
how big God is. Because when we understand and remember of how big God is, it helps keep things in perspective and remain hopeful. Because he keeps going in verse 9 of 2 Peter, said the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to, to come to repentance. Peter said the Lord is not slow. And so the people Peter is writing to literally are facing persecution and trouble and heartache. And they're asking, hey, Jesus said he was coming back. Where is he? Why hasn't he come back? And Peter said, hey, there's actually a purpose. And we feel this though, right? Every time we feel a deep loss, every time we experience a natural disaster, Every time we watch another war break out, every time we walk through another election cycle, every time we turn the TV on and see another school shooting, we are asking ourselves and wondering, where is the Lord? What is God doing? Why hasn't he come back? I'm here to tell you, it's not that God is not acting. It's that God has acted. Because of Jesus and because of his death on the cross and because of what he did through Jesus and secured victory for us, that he's defeated the evil one, that all things one day will be renewed. It is not that God is not acting. It's that he's already acted and we see that act. It's that Jesus has ushered in the kingdom of God. And this is the craziest thing. It invites me and you now to tell people that God has come. And that other people can enter into this beauty that we see, right? But there's this struggle. We live in the already but not yet. Like God has come and Jesus has done what Jesus has done. But we know that one day he'll come back and redeem all of this. And so we're stuck in the middle. But we can't lose the perspective to think that God isn't acting when things are happening. But his patience has a purpose, You see, one of the things that people talk about all the time when they talk about God is that there's a difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've thought that. Maybe you've read through some of the stories of the Old Testament and then you get to the New Testament and you're like, oh, is this a different person? And no, it's not. The the same God who has always been for people, the same God who sent Jesus, the same God who's redeemed humanity is the same God from the very beginning. And so I want you to hold where you are. And if you're following along, go to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7 is what we're going to look at. It says this. And so the Lord is, Moses is up on Mount Sinai. The Lord has just spoken and revealed his name to Moses. And then this is where we pick up in verse 6. He says, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, this is God speaking. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. The context of this promise is is incredible. Like what was happening in this moment is really, really astounding. For those of you who don't know, the people of Israel were slaves for 400 years to the Egyptians. 
And many of us have heard the story or watched the Charlton Heston movie of Moses going to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And they leave and they leave Egypt and they come to the Red Sea and God parts the Red Sea and the Israelites walk across it and they look back and see as they're doing that, their, their enemies are defeated, that God is indeed for them. And then they get to the mountain and they see this mountain wrapped in smoke and lightning, really the entourage of the Almighty. They've been covered by the blood of the covenant. Literally, God passed over them. And then Moses is up getting the law. He's getting the law in Exodus 32. And in the Israelites' first moment of freedom, they begin to go, well, where is he? Why is this taking so long? What is happening? What, why is God like doing what's... Because it's easy to forget. And so they look around, and you can read the story in Exodus 32, and they toss all of their gold into the fire. And I love the text. It makes me this. They just go, poof, out comes this cow. That's what they tell Moses, right? And we look at it and go, well, that's silly. They made a cow to worship and exchange the glory of the living God for the glory of some cow. But we do the same things. Our gods just look different. We still fashion things, though, with our hand. And so what happens after that is the judgment follows. But it's interesting. It's striking yet restrained. It's tempered by a mysterious mercy that God doesn't destroy them. He doesn't forsake them. Instead, he reveals his glorious, incomparable name like an unexpected dawn in an all-black sky. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so we ask, why does judgment not come fully and mercy beckon? You see, because unlike us, God is slow to anger. Now, don't mishear me. His judgment will come but only after taking the slow path. Look how verse 7 continues in Exodus 34. It says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. You see, God would not be God if he did not deal with sin. He, he would not be perfectly just, but what we know is that God has dealt with sin. That God's judgment and wrath were satisfied by Jesus as a willing sacrifice on the cross. And so now those of us who would come to repentance... It is no longer wrath, but mercy that we receive. And so again, why does God take the slow path? Because he has a purpose. Turn back to 2 Peter, and let's look at the end of verse 10. Look at what it says. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, what does it say? He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone, everyone everyone to come to repentance. That God longs for all people to come to repentance. I love what Eugene Peterson, he's an author, this is what he said. He says, repentance is the no we say to the world's lies and the yes we say to God's truth. It's the first word in Christian immigration. It sets us on the way to traveling in the light. It's a rejection that is also an acceptance, a leaving that develops into an arriving, a no to the world that is a yes to God. And so God waits, and he waits on us to do our part, to say no to the world's lies and yes to his truth. 
And so what is repentance? It's a church word we hear all of the time, and I don't know if we actually talk about it and know what to do when a pastor or preacher says, you need to repent. So here's three things that it involves. The first is this. It's got to involve conviction. You see, the reality is you actually have to know, and I think all of us know, but we just don't want to admit it, that we can't save ourselves. That we, in fact, are sinners in desperate need of somebody else and something way bigger than us to do something. And we have to be convicted and believe that deep in our core. On the first day when Peter stands up on Pentecost, when the church begins, it says Peter preaches the message of the gospel. You know what he told him? He told him really terrible news. He told him, you killed Jesus and you're responsible for the Messiah, but God used it anyways because this was always the plan. And so they look at Peter and go, what do we do? He said they were pricked to the heart. They actually felt it. He says, repent, confess, be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Spirit. He said, that's what you do. you got to repent. And so you need conviction. You actually have to believe that you need something outside of you to save you. And now here's the thing. Repentance isn't just a one-time thing. It is the first thing we do in our relationship with Jesus, but it's a continual thing we got to keep doing this thing. So first you need conviction. The next thing you need to do is you need to confess. You need to confess to God that you are surrendering all of your life to him. That you actually no longer are Lord of your life, but he is. And you need to confess that he alone is worthy of glory, honor, and praise. Because what's happened is, is you thought you were for a really long time. But we don't just confess to God, and I think this is the piece of repentance that's missed. We gotta confess to other people. In the book of James, chapter five, it says, confess your sins, pray for one another, and you will be healed. What I know is, and for many of us, we've never experienced healing because you've never actually confessed those things. And so we got a bunch of people walking around broken because we won't do the thing God tells us to do. Like, that's why we have the community of believers. That's why we have life groups. That's why we have partners in this thing called faith, because we cannot do this alone. I have to be able to confess my sins and my struggle. And I got to have brothers that look at me and say, how are you doing? Don't do that anymore. And then I got to have them lean in and intercede and pray for me and beg God for my healing. And so that's what we have to do in repentance. We actually have to confess. And then the third thing that's got to happen, so conviction, confession, Third one is you got to change. You, you don't get to just keep doing the same thing. Like your life actually looks different now. You got to do something different. So for those of us who have come to repentance, how grateful are you? Or how grateful should you be? That God was patient for you. That his delay was for a reason, that it wasn't just random, that he's longing for all people to come to know him and surrender their lives to them and come to repentance, and you were the benefactor of that. Think about it. If God had come back one year ago, how many of you would have been out? Two years ago. I walked in this morning and I see, as I'm walking in those back doors, that baptism banner with all of those names signed to it. And what I know is this building's only been around for two years. And so I know that many people would have been on the outside looking in because they were guilty of sin and they hadn't yet dealt with that. 
Five years, how many of you would have been out? Ten years, how many of you would have been out? If God had come back 20 years ago, I was out. Man, I've only been following Jesus and surrendered fully to Jesus for the past 10 years or 20 years. If he had come back before them, I was out because I was guilty of sin. I was not living how I should have been living and because all sin and fallen short of the glory of God. But man, am I so grateful that he's patient and kind. And so my response and your response to this incredible grace that we've been given should be thanksgiving that leads us to praise and a life of gratitude, which then leads us to a life of obedience. Like the change in your life shows actually how grateful you are. So if you're here today and God's patience has led to your salvation, it should be evident in how you live. But what else I know is there's some of you are here and you've not made that decision. You've not fully given your life to Jesus. You may be here for the very first time or maybe you're in and out of checking out this God thing and you're just curious. What I want you to hear and know today is that God has been incredibly patient and kind with you. And it has a purpose though. His patience is so that you would come to know him, that God is longing for you to come to him and not perish. Peter says down in chapter 3 and verse 15, he says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, that God wants you to accept this free gift of salvation. And remember, you cannot outrun time. Eventually, yours will be up. And when that happens, we want to be on the side of the cross. We want Jesus to be able to look and say, no, 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 no. He's with me. No, no, no. She, she's mine. She lived a life that wasn't perfect by any means, but man, she surrendered and all of her days were lived to try to glorify me. That's the side that we want to be on because remember, God cannot leave the guilty unpunished. And this isn't a fear tactic. I want to scare you into this. Too many people have been scared into just not wanting to go to hell. That's not what I'm saying. I want you to see and to know and come to full surrender, not because of what you think you know or but what maybe you've heard, but because of what is true. That God is patient and is overflowing with love and faithfulness to you. Like you individually, that he's done everything in his power to draw you into a relationship with himself. And so the question is, will you see this as your moment today? As your opportunity to finally surrender your life over to the new king. And accept the salvation that has been made accessible for you. This is what I also know though. Many of us, we've got people in our lives, kids, parents, husbands, wives, friends, who don't know Jesus. And are we not so grateful that God has been patient on their behalf? But it won't last forever. So we should feel such a burden that we actually do something about it, right? Like, like uh, T said, Big T said, those cards on your seat aren't for you. You already know Easter's coming. 
Those cards are for other people in your life who may actually come in next weekend and experience life change and experience the gospel and eternity is forever changed for them and maybe their families. Like that we're so burdened and we are so grateful for the kindness and grace that we've been shown that we leverage everything we've got to tell the people in our lives the story of our faith. That we don't just think they're going to find it mysteriously, but we actually help point the way. I want to take us back to Exodus 34 as we close because there's something in this text that I think is incredible. And so Exodus 34 verse 7 says this. We read most of it, but we didn't get to all of it. It says, God is maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. You see, in most of our English Bibles, what we see there in Exodus 34, verse 7, is that very last word, generation. But that word actually wasn't meant to be there. You see, what happens when translators are trying to translate stuff, they, going from one language into another language is difficult, and so they want to help us better understand the meaning. And sometimes what's good intentions actually mess things up. Now, don't, don't hear me say that the Word of God is not trustworthy. The Word that you have is very trustworthy. It's the Word that God wanted us to have, and it's in that Word that we find who God is. It's who we see who Jesus was. But sometimes in our human attempts, we just mess up. And so that's what happens here. You see, in Hebrew, which is very different than English, these verses actually have a poetic cadence to them. You see, the first phrase is composed in parallel to the second. And if you look at it, both phrases end in numbers, but very uneven numbers. But that's the point. You see, we fixate on the final phrase that God will punish to the third and fourth. But what it's meant to be read is that's meant to be read in contrast to the prior phrase that shows he will love to the thousands. You see, when generation is added, we lose that context. And so what it should look like is this. It should say that he's maintaining love to the thousands, and then this next one should sit on top of it, that he will punish to the third and fourth. And see, when we see it like that, what we can see is the numbers three and four are much, much smaller than the number thousand. You see, what God is declaring is that he is just, and he will punish evil, but his wrath only reaches on a scale of three to four where his mercy, forgiveness, and love reach to the thousands. Like this is who God is saying about himself. But too many times, man, we've gotten it backwards. You see, God's wrath and judgment are magnified and his love and mercy are minimized. And so what gets communicated sometimes by us, and you, maybe you've done it, whether explicitly or implicitly, is that God's anger is actually burning against thousands and his forgiveness is only extended to three or four. You see, we try to frighten people into faith to ensure that maybe they're some of the lucky few who get in. But our text reminded us that God longs for no one to perish, that he offers salvation for everyone, 
that Jesus' death and resurrection has made it possible that all people who would believe and confess and surrender and repent, that you have to do your part, but if you do that part, God says you're in. And so God's self-description of himself in Exodus 34 turns the math of wrath upside down. That his primary and overwhelmingly attitude towards the world is not one of anger and judgment, but it's one of love and compassion. Again, God will not ignore injustice and evil, but his greatest desire is for people to experience his forgiveness and his love, not his wrath and his condemnation. Therefore, I don't want you to be frightened into doing this. I don't want you to be frightened into following Jesus. I want you to see a God who is full of patience and kindness and love and grace. And that alone leads you into a relationship with him. And C.S. Lewis said, you can't go back and change the beginning. But you can start today and change the ending. I don't know what some of you walked in here with. I don't know the beginning of some of your stories, but I know because I know this world. And many of you have come in, and this is it. This may be the last shot you've got. You may be wondering and clinging, and you've heard about maybe this God, but you're unsure. And what I know because of the patience of our God and what Christ has done, how your life can move forward from today can change. If you are willing to surrender and repent. And so as we always do around here at Peak City, and it's one of my favorite things, is we are gonna give you an opportunity to respond. So I wanna invite all of you to your feet. And I just want you to go ahead and bow your head, and I'm gonna give you a couple ways to respond this morning. And it's just going to be by popping that hand in the air because I don't want you to walk out and go, that's a really great message, but you not have the opportunity to change. And so what I know again is that some of you are in this place today and you are not following Jesus, but man, Jesus is calling to you. And it didn't just start today. You begin to look back with that perspective of your life and see how God has been chasing after you. Because he is a God who loves you and a God who cares for you and a God who has done all things to bring you to this maybe moment. And so there are some of you who I want to give the opportunity to toss that hand in the air and repent and give your life in full surrender to God. So if that's you, go ahead and throw your hand up in the air this morning. That's right. Amen. Amen. God, thank you for life change, Father. Thank you for people surrendering their life to you. God, be with them. Help them move forward out of this day. I also know there are some of us in here who maybe a long time ago said we were following Jesus. But when we look at what repentance really is, there hasn't been real change. You're still just playing church. And today you felt conviction. And you know there are areas of your life that have got to go. 
And today you're going to maybe for the first time reach out to a friend or a prayer person and confess. And you're going to walk out of here and actually try to do different. And so if that's you this morning, if you are actually ready to repent and God has brought about that, just toss your hand in the air this morning. That's it. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes, Father. God, we pray. We pray that real life change does happen, that it doesn't stay in this room, God, but it leaves this place. That it's evident in the lives we live of how grateful we are for your kindness and love. I'm grateful to serve a God whose mercy extends to the thousands. Oh, God, thank you for the patience you've shown me. Oh, may I live out a life of gratitude and obedience that shows it. And God, may everyone else in this place who is a believer and a follower of you, God, may we do the same. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this Peak City message today. If you'd like more information on Peak City Church or if you'd like to give to the mission here in Colorado Springs, then check us out at peakcityco.com.